Hi, this is Deerbrook, Gretchen Shirley. Hi, how are you? It's Devin. Hello, this is Rebecca. Hi, Rebecca. It's Devin Handy. Hi. Hi, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good, thank you. So, um, are you ready to get started? Sure. Welcome to Candidate, real conversations with women running for office. I'm your host, Evan Handy. Normally, I host Hellbent Podcast, a political commentary show that approaches current events and public policy with a heavy intersectional feminist lens. Hellbent Media has teamed up with Emily's List to introduce you to some of the women who are running for office in the 2018 midterm elections. Each week, we speak with candidates around a theme. This week, I sat down with two women to talk about what inspired them to run and what they are focusing on now that they are candidates themselves. I spoke with Luba Gretchen Shirley, who is running for Congress in New York, and Rebecca Bauer Cahan, who's running for State Assembly in California. There is a narrative about a lot of female candidates that they run to fix a specific problem. Maybe they don't like the way healthcare is being handled in their state, or they want to fix a broken education system. And it's true that many women have been taught to see a problem and find the solution, but that it's only part of the story for female candidates. They are not single-issue candidates who only focus on one problem at a time. They see a broad range of issues in their communities and then run to offer solutions to those problems. This also goes back to a discussion we had with Emily's List President Stephanie Shirock in episode one of this show. Was it Donald Trump that inspired these women to sign up to run in droves? And the answer is kind of, but not really. The election of Donald Trump was a wake-up call to this country. The realization that a man of such low moral character and lacking any sort of leadership or government experience could win against the most qualified presidential nominee in at least a generation was was shocking. And it was clear that misogyny was part of it. And a lot of women realized that if a man like that could run and win, that they were eminently qualified to do so. But it wasn't just Trump that made them run. It was the fact that they knew they could solve problems that their representatives weren't tackling. They gave themselves permission. Trump didn't give them permission. Trump just gave them a spark. All of this to say, women run for many reasons, but they are more than capable of handling many issues at once and are running holistic campaigns designed to address many issues and are not single-issue candidates. Our guest today is Rebecca Bauer-Cahan. She is running for California State Assembly in the 16th District. Thank you so much for joining us today, Rebecca. Thank you for having me. Yes. So I want to start with why you decided to run for office. So I am a mom of three kids. I have a four, six, and an eight-year-old who are inheriting this world, and I'm an environmental lawyer, but I'm also the granddaughter of refugees. My grandparents were born and raised in Vienna, Austria. They were Viennese through and through, and then the Nazi occupation happened, and my they were kicked out of school. Uh, my grandparents were store owners, and their stores were destroyed on Kristallnacht, and my family had to get out or else. And my great-grandmother needed a sponsor to come to this country, and at that point in the war, you had to have help, and she didn't know anybody. And she sat down at her little table in Vienna and she wrote a complete stranger in New York and asked her to save the life of her only child, my grandmother, and the rest of our family. And in 1939, a complete stranger in New York, 
got this letter from a world away and said yes to us. And as a result, we were given the opportunity to come here. We survived. We thrived. My grandfather started in a factory in Brooklyn, worked his way up to salesman, a regional salesman. And my dad was a person in our family to go to college. And, you know, I lived the American dream and I was given a gift by this country. And I've always tried to give that back to my community, but also I learned through that the power of a single yes, because she saved a generation of lives. My grandmother's 97 and has 14 great grandchildren. And if it weren't for that, yes, none of that would be true. And so my whole life from college through adulthood, I've tried to give back that same yes. And this is running for office is a part of that. Yeah. So was there a specific turn of events? I mean, I know a lot of women have cited the the 2018 election as sort of mm-hmm. uh, inspiration to run, if maybe not the reason, but at least the inspiration to take that leap. Was that something was so was this something you always wanted to do or was this sort of brought on by the circumstances? No, I never would have thought I was going to end up being a politician. Let me tell you that. Uh, <laughs> I, <laughs> but I am an environmental lawyer and I've worked on policy in my career. So I always wanted to write law but never wanted to run for office. And yeah, then 2018 happened and given my background and uh, my skill set and the fact that, you know, we now are facing an administration that doesn't believe in climate change and isn't going to fight the fight that we need. um, You know, I felt like I had to take my skill set and put it to work. And I also needed to step up and represent the values that I know this country stands for and my community and make sure that we are on a path that all of us feel is right for this nation and the state and this community. It, it sounds like it kind of started with, with this climate change, but you've definitely taken a broad view on the issues, including mm-hmm. you were you coordinated efforts at San Francisco Airport to help immigrant refugees uh, get legal help after the quote-unquote travel ban. So what, what was that experience like? So I definitely was probably like a lot of your listeners in a state of depression after the election in 2016. And I didn't know what to do about that until the Muslim ban came down. And I am an attorney. I had coordinated pro bono for my law firm in San Francisco, and I am the granddaughter of refugees. And so when the Muslim ban was put into effect, it was a moment in time when I knew that I could do something, that our country was on a course I didn't agree with, I didn't think was constitutional, and I could step up and make a difference. And so I volunteered to coordinate the legal response at SFO the day after the Muslim ban, and it was an incredible experience to be able to give the gift of representation to people who were doing exactly what my grandparents did, come to this country to seek refuge and a new life. And it was absolutely, I think that was probably the turning point that drove me to run for office because for the first time since the election, I felt like I was doing something and I was standing up and using my skills to make a difference and to set the course as one that I think is in line with the values of our nation and the values of my community. And and I knew I needed to keep doing that. And so I then ended up running for office. Uh, You know, one of the stories I tell a lot about that day was I was working with Leader Pelosi's chief of staff, and it was complete chaos in the airport. The lawyers had set up a little legal clinic, and it was time for the Muslim call to prayer, and the Muslims came to pray next to the lawyers. And at first, we didn't really understand why. 
But then in that moment, the state guard came in in their riot gear right as they were starting to pray. It was a coincidence, but I am a huge believer in the Constitution, and I jumped up on a bench, and I said, surround them. They have a right to finish praying. And in that moment, I turned to Leader Pelosi's chief of staff, and I said, I guess this is Trump's America. And he said to me, no, this is our America, and that is why we are here fighting for it. And that has carried me beyond that day through this entire um, journey I'm on because it is our America and we need to make sure that we are doing our part to stand up for the values that we hold so dear. Yeah. And, and has that sort of, you know, like you said, this was sort of the, the first moment where you thought, okay, I'm, I might run for office or I need to, to do something to make that change. And were there other issues in your community that you either knew about or became aware of that you also wanted to take and fix and, and shape? Absolutely. You know, I, I live in the only GOP represented district in the Bay area. And I know that my assembly member doesn't represent the values of me or my community. And that's really important to me. This is a representative democracy. And I think that all of our elected should stand accountable to their constituents and make sure that the votes they're taking are in line with the values of the community. And so knowing that, um, she is not voting in a pro-choice fashion, that she only has a 43% from the Sierra Club, She's, you know, other things that are not in line with our values, voted repeatedly against gun violence prevention. I knew that we needed better representation and that I could go and represent those values in a consistent fashion and make sure that we have someone who is in line with us and serving us better. Right. So what would be the first thing you would focus on? What, what do you see as the number one issue? Education. In my district and in the state, we're the fifth largest economy in the world and we're the 46th in the country in per-pupil funding. I happen to live in the city and the state with the lowest per-pupil funding. And I see day in and day out with my children in the public schools that we aren't able to provide the kind of well-rounded education they need to prepare them for the 21st century jobs they're going to face. So I think we need to do better and make sure we're giving these kids the education they deserve and allowing them to graduate from college without the debt that they face these days when they get out. Is that an issue that your current representative has not done anything about? Well, it's just something the state has not done a decent job of. We seem to be, you know, we talk about fully funding the local control funding formula, but I can tell you in my community where we just get the base grant, we're not able to, we have art one hour a week paid for by the parents. We don't have PE teachers to meet the mandated PE hours. And that's how thin our resources are. And so as a state, we need to correct that course. And we haven't done that. So no, nobody has really taken that in a way that they've been able to affect change sufficiently. Right, right. So, you know, you're running at a local level, you're running for state assembly. Do you think that that is a position where you feel you can affect change in your community? I mean, I know that the I always say the the federal positions are a little bit sexier, and I realize that I'm playing fast and loose with the word sexy here, but but it's <laughs> um, it's maybe not as glamorous to take on a more local office, but. Was that a conscious decision where, that you knew you wanted to serve your community more directly? Yeah, I think it's really important to me that we have representation in Sacramento that is advocating for our community when it comes to education and transportation and the things, the bread and butter that we really need in the Bay Area to keep us at the forefront of where we are and also get us around. And also, I think it's important that right now, 
the state of California is really at the front lines of making sure that we protect the citizens of California from some of the things that are happening in Washington. As we talk about drilling off our shores, our state legislature is saying, nope, we won't give you the permits. As you know, they try to separate children at our border, our state legislature is saying, we won't use California resources to do that. And I think it's also crucial that we have a state legislature standing up and saying, we will protect our values, even if in Washington things are going awry. So both providing at the local level and also being an advocate for the values that we all hold dear are both really important to me. So it it seems like you definitely have a a broad range of of topics that you want to cover. Was that like that, that, you know, obviously that you're passionate about what and and this narrative is often that women run to to fix a problem or change something specific. But to me, it always seems like it ends up being a, a wider shot than that. And um, it, it's never just about that one issue. Did you Have you felt that way, too, that you, you started as maybe a one issue, you want to fix this, but it's evolved into a, a wider look at, at all policies that need to be changed? Ah, oh, that's such an interesting question. I, you know, I often talk about my skill set I bring to bear as an environmental attorney because I think one of the things that makes our legislative bodies so wonderful is the diversity of skills and talent that each of the representatives brings. And mine is obviously the ability to, you know, advocate for the environment and help bring my skill set to bear. And so that's something that always I've held dear. I think I bring to the table in a way that is really unique. Uh, But obviously being a mother and being a citizen and a voter and an engaged person, there's so much we need to work on right now. And the state of California obviously has so many issues that we need to address and they all are are something I hold dear, although you need to focus so you can actually achieve something. And that's why I often talk about education and transportation as some of my top priorities and, and then climate change as a skill I'll bring and work hard on as well. Right. Right. That makes, that makes sense. So what has been something particularly challenging about running a campaign that maybe you didn't expect or you didn't realize would be this challenging? It is quite the experience to run for office. And that is a lot of work. You know, I have an amazingly supportive spouse and I, we decided to get in this together despite the fact that he's in technology and politics isn't his thing, but it's been an adventure and it's been a lot of work. And my family has had to really put up with a lot of time on the campaign trail and working beside me. And that's been something that we've done willingly because we feel good about the change that I'm going to make and the representation I'm going to provide, but it was more than I ever could have imagined. Yeah. What are your, what do your kids think of your campaign? I'm always interested. I have a four-year-old who always, when I, when I ask him what mommy does, he says podcast. So uh, I always wonder <laughs> what, what do your uh, kids think of your campaign? Now I'm going to go home tonight and ask my four-year-old what I do. Well, so my four-year-old loves to canvas because he's allowed to ring the doorbell. Right. Right. So that has been, he, he's so amused by that. So they are definitely canvassing alongside of me. My eight-year-old is really into the app we use to canvas. So they've all been very much alongside me through this process. And I think they feel proud that mom is out there making a difference. I try to talk to them about it in a way that they really understand. You know, we talk about how they have the means to go to a doctor when they feel sick, but not everybody does. And mommy's going to go make sure that everybody does. And you know, we talk about school and how wouldn't they like to have art more and uh, isn't that something that I should work to make happen. And so they really get the hands-on things that I'm working to do. And as a result, they've been 
incredibly supportive. Yeah, that's great. That's really great. Well, thank you so much for speaking with me and, you know, running to represent your your area. I know it's never uh, an easy thing to do. And I've been speaking with women who are who have all been like, you know what? Obviously, I'm going to have to fix this myself. So, and roll up their <laughs> That's sleeves. That's pretty much what we do, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we get in the fray and we fix it. Exactly, so, exactly. I hope it's going to be an incredible November. It is going to be an incredible November. So, so thank you again, and good luck on the campaign trail. Thank you so much for talking to me today. Yes. All right. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. Our next guest is Luba Gretchen Shirley. She is running for Congress out of New York's 2nd District. We are so excited to have her on the show today. Luba, I, I want to talk to you about why you decided to run for office and and that like if there was a moment where you knew that this was something that you wanted to do. <laughs> um, I don't think there was really a moment. It was it was a many months decision making process. I had I honestly had no intention of running for office when when all of this started. I uh, I've always been involved in politics, but I I wasn't planning on running, and after the 2016 election, I had reached out to my local Democratic Party, to a number of local elected officials, and I wanted to know what the plan was. I wanted to know how we were going to hold Peter King accountable. We had just elected Donald Trump, and uh, Peter King had been in office since I was 12 and had consistently voted to hurt people in our district and all across the country, and I had enough, and nobody, nobody got back to me. And I ended up starting an indivisible group and started to hold Peter King accountable myself, started to post daily action alerts and organized rallies and protests and, and lobby days. And the group quickly grew to 3,000 people. And I wasn't planning on running. But then Peter King actually came out in support of the Muslim ban. Mm. And I organized a protest in front of his office. And I reached out to a number of groups across Long Island. And we had 400 people protest in front of his office. And because of that, I actually got a meeting with him, and I sat down, and I asked if he would hold a town hall, and he told me that a town hall would diminish democracy, said that he's on the news all the time talking about his stance on the issues, said there was no need to hold a town hall. And I remember thinking that he didn't understand what his job was, and I argued with him about it. I tried to explain that his job was to listen to what his constituents think because he's representing us. And he he didn't care, and I actually organized a town hall for him, and a couple hundred people showed up. I now have a six-foot cardboard cut out of Peter King in my attic. <laughs> and I, I think it was probably about that time, which was last spring, that I really started to think maybe I should run. I kept kind of waiting for the right person to come along and run against him. His voting record has been, has been terrible. I mean, this is a man who pretends to be bipartisan, but in reality is an extremist. He's against a woman's right to choose, even in the cases of rape or incest, and has advocated for jailing doctors who perform abortions. He, you know, supported the Muslim ban. He has said there are too many mosques in our country. He, you know, he was voted to let coal companies dump waste into our water, voted to not let students refinance their school loans. And and I just, I had enough. And I, I spent the, the last year kind of organizing and then finally decided I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run against him. So there really wasn't one particular moment. It was a buildup over months of deciding to do this. Right. And And so I know that, for you, you are a mother to two young children, and a lot of people yeah. told you that that would make it impossible to run for this seat, yeah. um, which, I mean, I have one, I have a four-year-old, and I can't imagine running. So I, you know, I, I'm right there with you. But you ended up petitioning the FEC to use campaign funds mm-hmm. for child care. 
So can you tell me a little bit about how that came about? <laughs> yeah. Um, I have a two-year-old and a four-year-old, and it was it was impossible. I mean, I was told I had to raise $100,000 on my own from my friends and my family before anybody would take me seriously. And very few people have been able to run, have been able to raise the money to run against Peter King. And everyone said, you know, King's been in office since you were 12. You have two babies. You don't have the political connections. You're crazy. And I, I managed to raise 126000 in the first two months. And I did that. I mean, my mom is a teacher, so she comes home at, at 3.30 and she takes my children then so I could work then. But right. during the day, I had my babies with me. I would, I would literally be nursing my son while my daughter was playing with my hair. And I'd be on the phone calling everybody I've ever met to raise money. And that was the first two months. And then my son actually broke his leg in January and ended up in a body cast for a month. Mm. And I hired a campaign manager at the exact same time. She started two days after or a day after I got home from the hospital with my son. And she honestly, I don't think, I think at that point she thought I was going to drop out of the race because I had a, a one-year-old in a body cast. I had a three-year-old and and it was it was a really daunting task, but we, we managed to, to do it. We managed to build this campaign and we did it with two babies in tow. And it wasn't until March that we finally realized there was no way we were going to continue to build this campaign without help. And we hired a babysitter part-time. She would come, you know, from, from 9.30 to 1 in the morning, mm-hmm. and, uh, in the, like, in the early in the day. And then my mom would have the children from 3.30 on. And I would have them. They'd be coming to events with me. They'd come to events in the evenings. They'd come to events in the afternoon. But we realized if we were going to continue to build this campaign, we needed help. And there's a very clear reason that we have so many millionaires in Congress, because to take a year or a year and a half off of your life without a salary and then also still, you know, pay your school loans and your health care bills and the mortgage and the taxes and also pick up the ch- cost of child care. It's, it's nearly impossible. Right. And I wouldn't have been able to, to run without, without this ruling from the Federal Election Commission. So we put, we put the request in. I was not expecting what happened to happen, to be very honest. I mean, Hillary Clinton wrote a three-page letter in support, and 24 representatives wrote in in support as well. And they unanimously approved it. I took my children with me down to D.C. and my husband and my kids went and I was expecting to be questioned. And they, without any questions, they unanimously approved it and they got it. They understood that this is a critical point and it will change the way that people run for office. We've already seen women in six different states put in similar requests at their state election commissions because we need we need more women in office. Congress is only 19% female. We need more people of color. We need more people from diverse socioeconomic backgrounds. We need more parents of young children. The average age of women who does decide to run is 52 years old. Most will wait till their children are grown and out of school, but we're missing this very this critical voice. We're missing the voice of people who understand what it's like not to have paid family leave, what it's like to worry about where you're going to send your kid to school, who understand what the problem is with not having quality, affordable child care. Those are voices that we need in Congress. And so, I mean, they, they approved it, and, and Fox Fox News even said it was the one bipartisan thing they could agree with, which, if you know me, you know, that's pretty amazing to see Fox News agree with me on something. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, it is, like you said, it's this, it's this thing that I also feel like has been put on women so much, because I feel like men are never asked they're never told that it's impossible to run with small children. They're never told that that's Mm -hmm. not something that they can accomplish if they have small children. Mm -hmm. And I think that's definitely part of it. Have you been judged or found pushback being a quote unquote working mom or running while also being a mom? Absolutely. I have been called uh, when my son broke his leg, I was called a child abuser. 
when uh, I brought my daughter with me to an event once because I didn't have childcare at the time, I was called, I was told that I was using my children as political props. It's it's incredible the 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 hypocrisy because if a man runs with small children, and it's the same thing in work when when a man has a child, his salary statistically will go up, where a woman for every child that a woman has, her salary will actually decrease. Men are considered more responsible and more respectable when they have kids, and people trust them more. But when women have children. You know, men, men are never asked, what are you going to do when you win? What are you going to do with your kids? I get asked that almost daily. What are you going to do with your kids? And that's, that's something that everyone will say to women because that's just that's the natural question that comes to mind. How are you going to do this with children? How are you going to run with children? And the thing that I will tell anybody is do it anyway because I, I was told I couldn't do this. I was told I was never going to see my children. And I've built the strongest grassroots campaign, the strongest grassroots movement that Peter King has ever faced. And I did it while nursing a baby. And that's, I mean, you can do it. It is hard, but you can do it and you can still be a mom and you can still run for office. And we need more women running for office. Yeah. And you've also based a lot of your campaign on advocating for, you know, working people, working class people. And, you know, you say that most representatives are, you know, millionaires or, or have, you know, huge amounts of money at their disposal and then that's not exactly representative of the voices in your district. So have have you found that have you found that that's a message that connects with the people that you are representing? It does. And that's that's so a lot of reporters keep asking, you know, a lot of these women are running and everybody will say are you part of blue wave are you part of a pink wave? The exciting thing is not just that there are so many women running for office this year, but that there are so many people from diverse socioeconomic backgrounds who don't come from political families, who don't have a lot of money, who have school loan debt, who have credit card debt, who understand what it's like to live paycheck to paycheck. We've never really seen that before because it's just running for Congress seems so you know, out of reach for these people. And that's why we end up having a government that passes permanent tax cuts on corporations. 80% of the, the benefits from this tax bill that we just got passed will go to the top 1%. Meanwhile, inequality is growing. The middle class is shrinking. People are working multiple jobs and living in poverty. And we're, you know, we're subsidizing companies like Amazon because Jeff Bezos can't pay his, his workers a, a livable wage. And that's the conversation that we need to have. And that's, that's why I'm running for office. I'm not just running because I'm a woman and Donald Trump, you know, talks of the sexual, uh, boasts about sexually uh, assaulting women. That, that definitely, you know, we have a president who, who proudly boasts of sexually assaulting women and calls women pigs and dogs. There are a lot of women running for that. But I'm running because I am sick and tired of people in office who don't understand the issues that everyone else in America is going through because they don't live them daily, making decisions for our lives. That's what, that's what got me. That's what officially hit me. I know what it's like to argue with my insurance company. And every time I'm out talking to people in my district, the number one concern I hear is healthcare. We had a roundtable the other day on women's issues, and every single person who was there talked about healthcare. They all had a healthcare story. Because people, you have to have a PhD to argue with your insurance company to get the treatment that you need. But people are dying because they can't access healthcare in this country. People, half of Americans, almost half of Americans in bankruptcy are there because of medical bills. We are the only developed country in the world that doesn't have access to universal healthcare. We pay more money per person than the rest of the developed world. We have the worst maternal mortality, the lowest life expectancy rates. And it's, it's enough. It is high time that we put 
American lives over the profits of corporate executives and insurance companies. And this is, I mean, all of these issues, they affect everyday Americans. We need more people who get them because they've lived them personally in D.C. legislating on those issues. Right. Right. A, a, a broader lived experience. It's not just about being a woman. Exactly. It's about it's about having lived experience that doesn't that that a lot of these people who are currently in office don't have. Exactly. Yeah. So can I what do your kids think of your campaign? <laughs> I don't think my son fully understands it. He did ask me the other day. He said, Mama, can I come to Congress with you? <laughs> and they get <laughs> They get really excited when they say Yuba for Congress signs. We were out riding our bikes the other day around the village, and every time we pass the Yuba for Congress sign, they both start screaming, Yuba for Congress, Yuba for Congress. <laughs> so my son thinks it's this exciting thing, doesn't really understand it. My daughter's beginning to get it, and we actually went to an event where um, she, at the, at the end of the speaking event, it wasn't, it wasn't my event, uh, she turned to me and she said, Mama, are you going to speak? And I said, baby, it's not my event. I'm not speaking. And she looked at me, surprised. And she went right up to the podium after it was finished, and she asked me to pick her up, and she started to give her own speech. And that's what she's beginning to understand, that that's normal, that mommies run for Congress, that she can run for Congress, that she can give her speech. And she wants to know why I'm not speaking when I go to an event and I don't speak, because she expects that. And she, I said to her the other day, I, said, I, I asked if she was upset that I was working so much. And she said, no, she understood. And I said, baby, why am I running? She turned to me. She said, because of Peter King. <laughs> <laughs> I said, oh, I said, all right, my four-year-old got that. It was pretty funny. But she, she understands that I'm, I'm working the hours that I'm working right now to make sure that I'm, I'm fighting for, for our district and for the people in our district and across the country. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it is just it's such a wonderful thing to be able to show young kids, your own children, that this is this can be the new normal. It doesn't have to look like this anymore. So Yeah. And what's what's so different? A reporter asked me the other day, she said, When did you decide to run as yourself? And I laughed to said, I'm not sure I understand your question. And she said, No, really, she's like, when did you decide to talk about your struggles and your family and your children and to to not, you know, to just be me? And I said it was I said it wasn't a strategic decision. Normally, when you see women, especially women, running for office, you see this polished politician. And this year, we see we see women breastfeeding in political ads. We see women, you know, bringing their children along to events. And and I think what's so exciting about it is that it's just we're running as ourselves because that's who we are, and these are the issues that matter to us. And this is, I mean, this is my family. This is my life. I get these issues. I know what it's like. I, you know, I was, I was one of the 88% of American women who didn't have access to paid maternity leave when I got pregnant. And this is, you know, paid family leave is a topic I've worked on both professionally and understand personally. And I think it's important to run it yourself. And I think that's what so many people are doing this year. They're not being these polished politicians. They're talking about the issues from a real life perspective. And it's, it's why there's so much energy this year because it's refreshing to see people be honest. Well, Luba, thank you so much for taking the time to, to speak with me. And I have to say, I saw your, your ad, the, the personal ad, and I, I got very emotional. And I, I definitely connect to your campaign in, in a very strong way. So thank you so much for speaking with me and telling your story. Thank you very much. That means a lot. Thank you. I appreciate that. All right. Well, thank you. Have a good day. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to Candidate. You can learn more about Luba Gretchen Shirley at lubaforcongress.com and you can follow her on Twitter at Luba 
number four, Congress. You can learn more about Rebecca Bauer Cahan at RebeccaBauerCahan.com. And you can follow her on Twitter at RBK for Assembly. Stay tuned in the next six weeks as we speak to more extraordinary women running for office. Coming up, we have Gina Ortiz-Jones, Stacey Abrams, Gretchen Whitmer, and more. You don't want to miss hearing their stories, their voices, and their plans to change this country for good. Candidate Real Conversations with Women Running for Office is a production of Hellbent Media. It is produced by me, Devin Handy, Varsha Venkat, Christina Reynolds, and the entire team at Emily's List. You can find more information about these candidates at emilyslist.com or at hellbentmedia.com. You can follow us on Twitter at hellbentpod or at emilyslist. Tune in every week to hear more stories from our future elected leaders.